0: what about the con man's body language, his sales pitch, his promises? Today in our study on street smart godly kids, we turn to the exposure of the sting. Dave Wortson likes to call this con artist portrayed in Proverbs, Harry the Hustler. Let's join Dave as he exposes this deceiver.
1: Harry Hustler, we might call him Harry Hustler. He's that individual that easily gets the person that's out to get rich quick. He's that individual that is easily able to get a hold of Sam Sluggard because Sam always wants to make a buck without doing any work. And this Harry Hustler comes along and he winks with his eyes and he shuffles with his feet. Uh, one of the men was telling me about one of his friends on the way to university. His very first year in university, his very first time away from home, This individual met Harry Hustler and this fella talked him out. He had a perfect deal and this fella emptied out his wallet and ended up, you know, putting himself way back during that first semester at school and he learned a hard lesson the hard way. Well, in Proverbs chapter six, if you open your Bibles there, we can learn to watch out for Harry Hustler when you meet him in life. We want to talk today about his character. We want to talk today about his titles, what kind of situations that He'll lead us into, and then we're going to end with what He produces, His end. And then we're going to finish today with the abominable seven, the seven deadlies. I grew up back east among a lot of Roman Catholic friends, and they had their list of the seven deadly sins or the seven mortal sins. And Proverbs chapter 6 has an equivalent of that. We're going to learn some things that God hates. What these seven abominations really do is bring together in a short list the overall characteristics of this Harry Hustler that's introduced in the previous verse. So Proverbs chapter 6 that we've been studying the last three weeks goes together by introducing us, first of all, to this young, naive fella who wants to make a quick buck. And so he's easily seduced by get rich quick schemes. And we learned about bad debts. Then we learned one of the ways to not get involved in bad debts is to not be lazy. But Sam Slugger doesn't listen to that advice. He never looks at the ants. He wants to make the buck quick. And so when we move to verse 12, we're introduced to this con man that's going to trap these two unsuspecting individuals. Let's read the text and then we'll try to break it down together. Verse 12. A scoundrel, a villain. It's the individual that goes about with a corrupt or twisted mouth, a perverse mouth, who winks with his eye. He shuffles or signals with his feet. He motions with his fingers. In other words, he crosses his fingers maybe behind his back. He plots evil. He carves out plans of evil. And these plots are deceitfulness that he's conceived deep within his personality and his heart. The tragedy of these plans is that they always stir up dissension. They always stir up strife. Therefore, because this fellow is such a trickster, disaster will overtake him in an instant. We learned about that at the end of Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom said, if you won't listen to me, if you won't pay attention to my advice, the whirlwind is going to come. The sudden calamity is going to come. The results of all these cunning tricks that you've planned in the end are going to come down on your head. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant he would suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. There are six things, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are a detestable thing to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides his wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And then the seventh, A man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. And notice in verse 15 or verse 14, it says, This crafty hustle, Harry Hustler is the individual that stirs up dissension. And our text comes together by returning to that seventh thing in verse 19 a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. Let's look first of all at what the title of this individual is. It calls him in verse 12 a scoundrel, a villain. It uses two words there in the original text. The first one is a word that I think you've all heard. How many of you have ever heard of the sons of Belial? Have you ever heard of the sons of Belial? Maybe you haven't. Sometimes the New Testament uses Belial of as a title for Satan. Belial is from two Hebrew words. One is just the negative Hebrew word which negates something like our word no or not. And then the other word is a word that means worthless, or or which means to produce something. So the idea of this phrase Belial means there's nothing of value here. In other words, our English word worthless would be a a literal translation of this man of Belial that the NIV calls a scoundrel. And a scoundrel is a very good translation for what this individual is. He's a worthless individual. Another word that's used is the idea here of a son or a man of trouble. Many times we've been talking about the righteous man does this in the book of Proverbs, the wicked man does this. There's several words that are used for wickedness, but the word that's used for wickedness here is the word that can also literally mean trouble or calamity. And so what we have is a man of worthlessness, an individual of worthlessness, who generates calamity for himself and for others. That's his title. He's worthless and he produces all kinds of trouble. I think it's very important for us to recognize that one of the very pragmatic things that Proverbs wants you to understand is that on the negative side, these fools, these criminals, these con men, at times in life when you look at them, they seem to be going along great. It looks like they're on top of the world. It looks like they've got the big bank accounts. It looks like they have the fast cars and all the beautiful clothes and things are going great. What the book of Proverbs wants you to realize is that though at times that you take a snapshot of their life, it might look like everything is great. In the end, calamity, trouble will come. And those that are older and think of kids that you grew up with that lived in that fast line that were harry hustler that played the con game in business and now you can see how the whole thing has fallen like a house of cards. And this is what Proverbs wants us to realize. In fact, it wants the young people in the group to be able to hear what I say about this criminal con and not give in to it. Let me kind of go back into the Old Testament and just remind you of some other places in the Old Testament where this designation, the son of Belial is used. I want to remind you of some Sunday school stories that you should have learned. If you didn't learn them, I'll try to summarize them so you can learn them now. This word, a son of Belial, is used of Nabal. Can anybody remember who Nabal's wife was? Not Naboth, but Nabal. Who was Nabal's wife? One of the beautiful women of the Old Testament. That's right. Abigail. Remember precious Abigail? She was married to a real, real hairy hustler. And he was Nabal. His name means moral duller. It doesn't mean he was lazy and dull. It just meant that he was very complacent about ethics. David took care of his flocks. David's men uh, took care of his herds, made sure that the wolves didn't get it for a whole year's time. In the end, David expected at least to get some grub from Nabal. He sent his servants to Nabal, and Nabal just threw them out in their ears and mocked him and laughed at him and said he didn't owe David anything. And we have this picture of this selfish materialist he would be willing to allow a man to protect his his material uh, herds and the valuable things that he had for a year, but he would not do anything in return. So that's this concept I want you to get in your mind: this Harry Hustler is a selfish materialist. In Deuteronomy chapter thirteen, verse thirteen, it talks about a man in Israel who seeks to seduce the people away from the worship of God. There's an individual in society who who laughs at the Bible who mocks at the things of God, and that's another characteristic of this Harry Hustler, this con man, this worthless individual. He's an idolater. The Lord Jesus says in Deuteronomy chapter 13 that this idolater in old Israel was to be cut off. He was to be obliterated from his people. A third area where we have this idea of a son of Belial is in the strategic area of the courtroom. Something that we have to understand, I think it's very easy for us in the New Testament to take this lightly. We can take telling the truth to be a light thing. Children can tell little white lies. Teenagers can think nothing of just lying a little bit. Moms and dads, we can fall into the same pattern. One thing I want to underscore in your thinking in the book of Proverbs, telling the truth has a premium price on it. And many times, this concept of telling the truth comes right over into the courtroom. Now, how many of you would assume that after someone swears on the Bible, they put their hands in the Bible and they still take an oath, and you swear under God, under the Bible, that you're going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth? How many of you think that the truth is told consistently in the courtroom? Now, just stop and think about that. Think of the devastating results. In fact, in the Old Testament, can anybody think of a story where false witnesses told an unbelievable lie and a man lost his life because of their false testimony? Ahab and Jezebel. What did Ahab want? He wanted whose vineyard? Not Nabal's vineyard, but Naboth's vineyard. He wanted the vineyard of Naboth and Jezebel went into Ahab's room and says, you know, what's the matter, big boy? As uh, Dr. Lee, the famous Southern Baptist preacher, preaches his famous sermon, Payday Sunday. And Jezebel tells him, well, I can take care of that. No problem at all. She sends a letter over to the city where Naboth lived. And what did she tell them to do? She got two worthless individuals. Here we have the sons of Belial. She got two worthless individuals to go before the elders in the city and accuse Naboth of blasphemy. They brought Naboth before the elders of the city. These two sons of Belial got up, lied about Naboth. They took Naboth outside and stoned him. And Ahab went in and took over the vineyard. The whole house of Ahab came down, was massacred by the penalty of God because of those false witnesses and the deceitfulness of Jezebel. So that's another place in the Old Testament that it's used. Another place it's used of of immoral Eli's sons. It's used as some pastor's kids in the Old Testament, some priest's kids. It says that the sons of Eli, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 10, there's a very interesting phrase there. The Hebrew text starts out like this. The sons of Eli, which is a normal designation, were the sons of Belial. And it puts those two statements right side by side. They should have been the sons of my God. Eli means my God. E means my, L means God. They should have been the sons of my God, the sons of Eli, but instead they were the sons of worthlessness, of Belial. And then it says this, they did not know God. You see, this worth, worthless con man lives in a world like there isn't any God, like there's no one to call you to account. You see, you might think as a believer this morning that you're kind of naive. The business world might tell you that you're naive. But I want to share with you, the business person, man or woman, that you live with day in and day out in the business world that lives as if there isn't a God is the one that's very unrealistic. Because they're ignoring the most important factor in the marketplace. The most important factor in the marketplace It's not productivity and it's not the bottom line and it's not Wall Street investment. God is the most important person in the marketplace. And these sons of Belial act as if there isn't any God. They act as if there is no ultimate creator that you're responsible to. They're immoral. The sons of Eli should have been ministering faithfully in in the tabernacle of old Israel. What they would do is you'd bring your sacrifice in and ordinarily you were supposed to sacrifice first. And then the priest, after you made your sacrifice, the priest could come in and he could take what he needed for his own sustenance. And it was a gracious provision by the Lord, and it was supposed to be very much an act of love. The the congregation of Israel was to willingly bring in some meat, offer it as a praise sacrifice to the Lord, or as a covering for their sin, And then the priest could come and take a small portion that would feed his household. The sons of Eli, as soon as you brought your animal in, would boil it and take the best portion. And the people would scream and say, it's against the law. You're not letting us carry out the sacrifice of God. And Eli's sons would laugh and say, who cares? Big deal. Just give us the meat. And they'd force the people to give them the meat before they could make sacrifice to God. And you can imagine how that went over among the congregation. Also, when the beautiful girls came to the temple, they would have sexual relationships with these girls. So the tabernacle, it would be like a church in our own day, that rather being in a place where we come this morning and we worship God and we sing praises to God, the church became a place where illicit affairs were taking place. Satan's always trying to take the sacred and the holy, and turn it into the abominable and the cursed. That's why it shouldn't surprise us today when we suddenly find these worthless realities taking place right within our own midst, right within our own evangelical community. What I want every one of you to realize is that as you sit there today, you can fake everybody out, and you can deceive me, you can deceive everyone else, but you can't deceive God. And that's what these sons of Belial never realize. They never go open head-to-head with the Lord. And I want all of you to recognize that the book of Proverbs is just taking this materialistic, agnostic individual that acts as if there isn't a God. He might give lip service to God on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning, forget it. It never really gets into the ethics of their life. And the Proverbs is telling you that God knows all about this character. He knows all about us when we have these kind of characteristics in our own life. So this individual is immoral. He's also an insurrectionist. First Samuel chapter ten, verse twenty seven, talks about some men that would not go along with the God ordained king. Saul in first Samuel chapter ten had been ordained king. The sons of Belial, these worthless individuals, would not give in to the rightly ordained leadership of God. They were political insurrectionists. So if you'll get a good handle, I want every one of you as a result of being here this morning to have a good handle that there's an individual in life. Not everybody out there is a good guy with a white hat. Not everybody is trustable. Not everybody is dependable. Not everybody is a good guy. I want every one of you to realize that there's worthless, selfish, idolaters, false witnesses, immoral, insurrectionists. When you go to way to college, young people, on your campus, there will be individuals that have all of those characteristics. And I want you to understand that this individual is not dumb. This individual is not slow mentally. In fact, we're going to learn in just a second that he's incredibly quick or she's incredibly quick at plotting and planning. This con man invests as much thinking into cheating as an A student puts into learning the material. If you ever got this con man to use his energies in the right way, you'd have it made. And this individual is incredibly dangerous because of the keen, sharp plotting that he gets involved in. He's a troublemaker. Let's look at some of the characteristics of his body. It goes right through in our text in Proverbs chapter 6. talks about, first of all, of his corrupt mouth. Let's look at some other verses in Proverbs where it talks about this perverted mouth. Turn to chapter 4, verse 24. Just picking up one that we've studied. In Proverbs chapter 4, the father told his son, put away perversity. And the word that's used for perversity in chapter 4, verse 24, is our word upside downness, forwardness, twisting things that's used in chapter 6 of our con man. The wise person will put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. I would challenge every one of you to go through Proverbs and put down the mouth. And write down what the righteous man does with his mouth and put down what the foolish man does with his mouth or the wicked individual. Your mouth is really powerful. James tells us that the mouth is like a forest fire. And we've been very much aware out on the west coast of the terrible forest fires. The scripture tells us that our mouth is like a forest fire. And it can kindle almost unbelievable devastation. This con man's mouth is forked. The Indian expression, he speaks with a fork of tongue, would be a close English equivalent to the kind of expressions they use in the Old Testament. It's a mouth that doesn't speak straight with you. You know, there's some in our church family that I think one of the most precious encouragements that I have from them is that I, I always know they speak with a straight tongue. For example, if I see him and, and, they, and I say, hey, you know, I'll see you tomorrow morning. They'll say, Dave, um, I really wish I could be there, but I'm going to be going down to visit some friends. I really need to go down and visit some relatives, and we're going to have a family time, and I'll see you next Sunday. And it was the truth. It was totally the truth, and I rejoice in that. But there's other believers I'll meet that I'll say, hey, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. You're not going to see them tomorrow. They've already made plans. But they'll never go straight with you. They'll never just tell you the truth. You see, even when you start falling into sin, if you still speak with a straight tongue, you're a lot closer to coming back. But you see, there's a little bit of this Harry Hustler in all of us. It's so hard for us not to twist our tongue. And I find that in my own life. You know, Mary can catch me just in a little bit of exaggeration. You can ask her about that. That really bugs her. You know, I was raised in an evangelist. Everybody knows. Evangelistically speaking, it amazes me about how many people are in a group. When people estimate how many people are in a group, they always guess about 400 too high. You know, all you have to do is count them, and you can tell. You know, it's way, way off. But it's so easy for us to hedge a little bit, and that's this idea of this individual that speaks with a perverse tongue. I would encourage you to recognize. It tells you a lot of things about the tongue, and one of the basic characteristics of this scoundrel is that he speaks with a corrupt or twisted tongue. The second thing is that y'all think that about him and his characteristics, his bodily characteristics. You think that body language is just something that we wrote a book on just the last few years. Body language has been going on for the last 3,000 years and more, more than that. In fact, I'm sure it goes right back to the Garden of Eden right after they fell. It tells us in our text that this con man winked with his eye, He signals with his feet and motions with his finger. Let's look, first of all, at uh, his winking with the eye. Let's talk about that a little bit. This individual will never look at you straight in the eye. I want to share something with you. Don't ever trust somebody that won't look at you straight in the eye. Now, there's two things that are going on when somebody won't look at you straight in the eye. One of them is a very low self-image. That person isn't necessarily trying to con you. They're kind of like a whipped puppy. From the time that they were just little tiny puppies, they were beat up on. And so they're frightened. When you're frightened, it's hard to look at something right in the eye. And that's really not the problem in that individual's heart. That individual needs encouragement. A lot of times a very small child with an adult will have a very hard time just looking at them straight in the eye. Because they're frightened. There's nothing wrong with that. And they need encouragement. But there's another individual that you meet lots of times in life that never looks at you straight in the eye because your eyes are the windows of your soul. And if I'm going to con you, if I'm going to con you, now there are cons, I've worked with cons, that can look at you straight in the eye and lie. They're the really good ones. In fact, they could take lie detector tests, make it airtight because it doesn't change their blood pressure or anything else it doesn't send nervous impulse or anything they're so conned and so far gone lying doesn't mean anything to them they'll look at you right in the eye and just swear under god they're telling you the truth most of the time the con isn't that good most people that are conning you look away they won't look at you right in the eye and i want to encourage you as god's people don't be a person that's always looking away
0: Dave will continue this practical exposure of the con man or woman's body language on our next Truth Encounter. Isn't it exciting to discover that our Heavenly Father has given us this kind of practical, down-to-earth horse sense in His Word? You might have thought that spiritual teaching only scraped the Milky Way of Heavenly Angelic communication, but Proverbs takes us right out into the marketplace and exposes the hoodlums, the thieves, and the conmen that we need to be able to resist. Watch out for the sting."